0: man he was. What a fascination he exerted over the minds of those who love fantasy. What do you think
1: is because people are fascinated by the mystery of death? No one will ever equal his knowledge of the secrets that lie beyond the grave. Let us drink to the immortal Edgar Allan Poe.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and prefer not to disclose, back to the Undressing Underground podcast for our very special Halloween episode, the Edgar Allan Poe cast. Today, there is no interview besides me asking random questions of my friend. Uh, the graveyard. What the fuck was that graveyard called? Oh, yeah, I should mention we're at the Red Some Fancy. Uh, what do you call a cemetery? Crown <laughs> what? Crown Hill Cemetery? Crown Hill Cemetery at uh, Indianapolis. That's the one. So, before I take you there, Let me just introduce all of our guests today real quick. We have Sarah Century reading Bernice. And I highly suggest going back to next week, listen to her interview if you haven't, because she is fucking out there. And then we have Alone, read by T. Volpone, featuring music from Bloodloaf. Well, sort of music. After that... It is The Raven, read by The Smudge. Annabelle Lee, read by Jennifer C. Martin with guitar by, I I forgot his name again. (laughs) Daniel is his name, his name is Daniel. He's on guitar, Daniel Martin. And then after that, we have the Imp of the Perverse with vocals and music by Arvo Zylo followed by The Bells by Brandon whatever the fuck his last name is and then The Telltale Heart performed by Mother Whore with special guest uh reading by I think his name is Will He normally goes by Duke, so that sounds more interesting. Anyway, without further ado, let's join me and Brandon back at whatever that graveyard was called. We're walking through the graveyard right now but it's really sunny and I'm wearing a coat even though it's like 65 or 70 degrees out because it's easier to hold my microphone. But uh, you don't have to know any of that. So maybe I'll just throw in some royalty-free rain and thunder and wind and my toilet for good measure. You think they just stole that one? Yeah, no. Why only that one? This guy. Alright, just go around in the back. Oh, so just me over there. I oh, people over here. <laughs> That's awkward. Yeah. I don't want to do this in front of people. <laughs> it's awkward. Hey, we're here to desecrate your graves. <laughs> Um. I'm sorry for your loss. Did they do anything weird? (laughs) Did we see any weird inscriptions? Oh, there's one. What's that say? Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. That's weird. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift, uplifting rush of quiet birds and circled light. I am the, sort, I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand, Do at, my stand at my grave and cry, cry. cry. I am not there, I did not die. Uh, served with the 3-1 marines. Awarded Bronze Star with valor. It's weird, there aren't many epitaphs in the front of tombstones. We were finding them on the back of them. Anyway. Today's episode is the Edgar Allan Poe cast with a bunch of fucking weirdos like the guy I'm walking around here with Brandon Dumais or Dumais, or Dumais. Is there a bathroom? I, I don't gotta, I want to get haunted. I want like something to drink. Do you think they have like vending machines here? That's beer. It's true. I have that beer. Oh, I meant sergeant. Oh, that guy, yeah. There was some guy with beer on this grave. Not like, poured on it, just two beers sitting in front of it. Because I don't know what people, what people do the things they do. Couldn't even
3: open it for him. What? Couldn't
2: even open it for him. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, Alright, so enough of my bullshit. The first person we are going to hear is the multimedia avant-garde queer extravaganza, um, Sarah Century, reading Bernice.
4: Bernice by Edgar Allan Poe, read by Sarah Century. Misery is manifold. The wretchedness of earth is multiform, overreaching the wide horizon as the rainbow. Its hues are as various as the hues of that arch, as distinct, too, yet as intimately blended. Overreaching the wide horizon as the rainbow. How is it that from beauty I have derived a type of unloveliness, from the covenant of peace? A simile of sorrow, but as in ethics, evil is a consequence of good. So, in fact, out of joy is sorrow born. Either the memory of past bliss is the anguish of today, or the agonies which have their origin in the ecstasies which might have been. My baptismal name is Egis, that of my family. I will not mention. Yet there are no towers in the land more time-honored than my gloomy, gray, hereditary halls. Our line has been called a race of visionaries, and in many striking particulars. In the character of the family mansion, in the frescoes of the chief saloon, in the tapestries of the dormitories, in the chiseling of some buttresses in the armory, but more especially in the gallery of antique paintings, in the fashion of the library chamber. And lastly, in the very peculiar nature of the library's contents, there is more than sufficient evidence to warrant the belief. The recollections of my earliest years are connected with that chamber and with its volumes, of which latter I will say no more. Here died my mother, herein I was born, but it is mere idleness to say that I had not lived before, that the soul has no previous existence. You deny it? let us not argue the matter. Convinced myself, I seek not to convince. There is, however, a remembrance of aerial forms, of spiritual and meaning eyes, of sounds, musical yet sad. A remembrance which will not be excluded. A memory like a shadow, vague, variable, indefinite, unsteady, and like a shadow, too, in the impossibility of my getting rid of it while the sunlight of my reason shall exist. In that chamber was I born, thus awaking from the long night of what seemed, but was not, non-entity. At once into the very regions of fairyland, into a palace of imagination, into the wild dominions of monastic thought and erudition, it is not singular that I gazed around me with a startled and ardent eye. That I loitered away my boyhood in books and dissipated my youth in reverie. But it is singular that, as years rolled away, and the noon of manhood found me still in the mansion of my fathers, it is wonderful what stagnation there fell upon the springs of my life. Wonderful how total an inversion took a place in the character of my commonest thought. The realities of the world affected me as visions, and as visions only, While the wild ideas of the land of dreams became, in turn, not the material of my everyday existence, but in very deed, that existence, utterly and solely in itself. Berenice and I were cousins, and we grew up together in my paternal halls, yet differently we grew. I, ill of health, and buried in gloom. She, agile, graceful, and overflowing with energy. Hers, the ramble on the hillside. Mine, the studies of the cloister. I, living within my own heart, and addicted body and soul to the most intense and painful meditation. She, roaming carelessly through life with no thought of the shadows in her path or the silent flight of the raven wing hours. Berenice, I call upon her name. Berenice. And from the gray ruins of memory, a thousand tumultuous recollections are startled at the sound. Ah, vividly is her image before me now, as in the early days of her light-heartedness and joy. Oh, gorgeous yet fantastic beauty! Oh, sylph, amid the shrubberies of Arnhem! Oh, naiad among its fountains! And then, then all is mystery and terror, and a tale which should not be told. Disease, a fatal disease, fell like the simoom upon her frame. And even while I gazed upon her, the spirit of change swept over her, pervading her mind, her habits, and her character, and in a manner the most subtle and terrible, disturbing even the identity of her person. Alas, the Destroyer came and went, and the victim, where was she, I knew her not, or knew her no longer as Berenice among the numerous train of maladies superinduced by that fatal and primary one which affected a revolution of so horrible a kind in the moral and physical being of my cousin may be mentioned as the most distressing and obstinate in its nature a species of epilepsy not unfrequently terminating in trance itself trance very nearly resembling positive dissolution and from which her manner of recovery was in most instances startlingly abrupt. In the meantime, my own disease, for I have been told that I should call it by no other appellation, my own disease then grew rapidly upon me and assumed finally a monomaniac character of novel and extraordinary form hourly and momently gaining vigor, and at length obtaining over me the most incomprehensible ascendancy. This monomania, if I must so term it, consisted in a morbid irritability of those properties of the mind in metaphysical science termed the attentive. It is more than probable that I am not understood, but I fear indeed that it is in no manner possible to convey to the mind of the merely general reader an adequate idea of the nervous intensity of interest with which, in my case, the powers of meditation, not to speak technically, busied and buried themselves in the contemplation of even the most ordinary objects of the universe. To muse for long, unwearied hours with my attention riveted to some frivolous device on the margin, or in the topography of a book to become absorbed for the better part of a summer's day in a quaint shadow falling aslant in the tapestry or upon the door, to lose myself for an entire night in watching the steady flame of a lamp or the embers of a fire, to dream away whole days over the perfume of a flower, to repeat monotonously some common word until the sound by dint of frequent repetition ceased to convey any idea whatever to the mind. To lose all sense of motion or physical existence by means of absolute bodily quiescence, long and obstinately persevered in. Such were a few of the common and least pernicious vagaries induced by a condition of the mental faculties not, indeed, altogether unparalleled, but certainly bidding defiance to anything like analysis or explanation. Yet, let me not be misapprehended. The undue, earnest, and morbid attention thus excited by objects in their own nature frivolous must not be confounded in character with that ruminating propensity common to all mankind, and more especially indulged by persons of ardent imagination. It was not even, as might be first supposed, an extreme condition or exaggeration of such propensity, but primarily and essentially distinct and different. In the one instance, the dreamer, or enthusiast, being interested by the object, usually not frivolous, imperceptibly loses sight of this object in a wilderness of deductions and suggestions, issuing therefrom until, at the conclusion of the daydream often replete with luxury, he finds the incitamentum, or first cause, of his musings entirely vanquished and forgotten. In my case, the primary object was invariably frivolous, although assuming, through the medium of my distempered vision, a refracted and unreal importance. Few, if any, deductions were made, and those few pertinaciously returning upon the original object as a center. The meditations were never pleasurable, and at the termination of the reverie, the first cause, so far from being out of sight, had attained that supernaturally exaggerated interest which was the prevailing feature of the disease. In a word, the powers of mind more particularly exercised were, with me, as I have said before, the attentive, and are, with the daydreamer, speculative. Thus it will appear that, shaken from its balance only by trivial things, my reason bore resemblance to that ocean crag spoken of by Ptolemy Hephaestion, which, steadily resisting the attacks of human violence and the fiercer fury of the waters and the winds, trembled only to the touch of the flower called Esphodel. And although, to a careless thinker, it might appear a matter beyond doubt that the alteration produced by her unhappy malady in the moral condition of Berenice would afford me many objects for the exercise of that intense and abnormal meditation whose nature I have been at some trouble in explaining, yet such was not in any degree the case. In the lurid intervals of my infirmity, her calamity indeed gave me pain and taking deeply to heart that total wreck of her fair and gentle life, I did not fail to ponder frequently and bitterly upon the wonder-working means by which so strange a revolution had been so suddenly brought to pass. But these reflections partook not of the idiosyncrasy of my disease, and were such as would have occurred under similar circumstances to the ordinary mass of mankind. True to its own character, my disorder reveled in the less important but more startling changes wrought in the physical frame of Berenice, in the singular and most appalling distortion of her personal identity. During the brightest days of her unparalleled beauty, most surely I had never loved her. In the strange anomaly of my existence, feelings with me had never been of the heart, and my passions always were of the mind. Through the grey of the early morning, among the trailless shadows of the forest at noonday, and in the silence of my library at night, she had flitted by my eyes, and I had seen her, not as the living and breathing Berenice, but as the Berenice of a dream not as a being of the earth, earthy, but as the abstraction of such a being, not as a thing to admire, but to analyze, not as an object of love, but as a theme of the most abstruse, although desultory, speculation. And now, now I shuddered in her presence, and grew pale at her approach, yet bitterly lamenting her fallen and desolate condition. I recalled to mind that she had loved me long, and in an evil moment. I spoke to her, Mary. And at length the period of our nuptials was approaching, when upon an afternoon in the winter of the year, one of those unseasonably warm, calm, and misty days which are the nurse of the beautiful Halcyon, I sat, and sat, as I thought, alone, in the inner apartment of the library, but uplifting my eyes I saw that Berenice stood before me. Was it my own excited imagination, or the misty influence of the atmosphere, or the uncertain twilight of the chamber, or the gray draperies which fell around her figure that caused in it so vacillating and indistinct an outline. I could not tell. She spoke no word. I, not for worlds, would I have uttered a syllable. An icy chill ran through my frame. A sense of insufferable anxiety oppressed me. A consuming curiosity pervaded my soul, and sinking back upon the chair, I remained for some time breathless and motionless with my eyes riveted upon her person. Alas, its emaciation was excessive, and not one vestige of the former being lurked in any single line of the contour. My burning glances at length fell upon the face. The forehead was high. And very pale and singularly placid, and the once jetty hair fell partially over it and overshadowed the hollow temples with innumerable ringlets, now of a vivid yellow and jarring discordantly in their fantastic character with the reigning melancholy of the countenance. The eyes were lifeless and lustreless and seemingly pupilless, and I shrank involuntarily their glassy stare to the contemplation of the thin and shrunken lips, they parted, and in a smile of peculiar meaning, the teeth of the changed Bernice disclosed themselves slowly to my view. Would to God that I had never beheld them, or that having done so, I had died. The shutting of a door disturbed me, and looking up I found that my cousin had departed from the chamber, but from the disordered chamber of my brain had not, alas, departed and would not be driven away. The white and ghastly spectrum of her teeth, not a speck on their surface, not a shade on their enamel, not an indenture in the edges, but what that period of her smile had sufficed to brand in upon my memory. I saw them now even more unequivocally than when I beheld them then. The teeth, the teeth, they were here, and there, and everywhere. Invisibly and palpably before me, long, narrow, and excessively white, with the pale lips writhing about them, as in the very moment of their first terrible development, then came the full fury of my monomania, and I struggled in vain against its strange and irresistible influence. In the multiplied objects of the external world, I had no thoughts but for the teeth. For these I longed with a frenzied desire. All other matters and all different interests became absorbed in their single contemplation. They, they alone, were present to the mental eye, and they, in their sole individuality, became the essence of my mental life. I held them in every I turned them in every attitude. I surveyed their characteristics. I dwelt upon their peculiarities. I pondered upon their conformation. I mused upon the alteration in their nature. I shudder, as I assigned to them in imagination a sensitive and sentient power, and even when unassisted by the lips, a capability of moral expression. Of Mademoiselle Sal, it has been well said all her steps were sentiments, and of Berenice I more seriously believed all her teeth were ideas. The ideas. Ah, here was the idiotic thought that destroyed me, the ideas. Ah, therefore it was that I coveted them so madly. I felt that their possession could alone ever restore me to peace in giving me back reason. And the evening closed in on me thus, and then the darkness came and tarried and went and the day again dawned, and the mists of second night were now gathering around, and I still sat motionless in that solitary room, and still I sat buried in meditation, and still the phantasma of the teeth maintained its terrible ascendancy, as with the most Vivid, hideous distinctness. It floated about amid the changing lights and the shadow of the chamber. At length there broke in my dreams a cry as of horror and dismay, and therein too, after a pause, succeeded the sound of troubled voices intermingled with many low moanings of sorrow or of pain. I arose from my seat and throwing open the doors of the library, saw standing in the antechamber a servant maiden, all in tears, who told me that that her niece was no more. She had been seized with epilepsy in the early morning, and now, at the closing in of the night, the grave was ready for its tenant, and all the preparations for the burial were completed. I found myself sitting in the library, and again sitting there alone. It seemed that I had newly awakened from a confused and exciting dream. I knew that it was now midnight, and I was well aware since the setting of the sun, Berenice had been interred. But of that dreary period which intervened, I had no positive, at least no definite comprehension. Yet its memory was replete with horror, horror more horrible from being vague, and terror more terrible from ambiguity. It was a fearful page in the record of my existence, written all over with dim and hideous and unintelligible recollections. I strived to decipher them, but in vain, while ever and anon, like the spirit of a departed sound, the shrill and piercing shriek of a female voice seemed to be ringing in my ears. I had done a deed. What was it? I asked myself the question aloud, and the whispering echoes of the chamber answered me. What was it? On the table beside me burned a lamp, and near it lay a little box. It was of no remarkable character, and I had seen it frequently before, for it was the property of the family physician. But how came it there upon my table, and why did I shudder in regarding it? These things were in no manner to be accounted for, and My eyes, at length, dropped to the open pages of a book, and to a sentence underscored therein. The words were the singular but simple ones of the poet Eben Zayed. My companion said to me, if I would visit the grave of my beloved, I might somewhat alleviate my worries. Why, then, as I perused them, did the hairs of my head erect themselves on end, and the blood of my body became congealed within my veins? There came a light tap at the library door and pale as the tenant of a tomb a menial entered upon tiptoe his looks were wild with terror and he spoke to me in a voice tremulous husky and very low what said he some broken senses i heard he told of a wild cry disturbing the silence of the night of the gathering together of the household, of a search in the direction of the sound. And then his tones grew thrillingly distinct as he whispered me of a violated grave, of a disfigured body enshrouded, yet still breathing, still palpitating, still alive. He pointed to garments, they were muddy and clotted with gore. I spoke not, and he took me gently by the hand. It was indented with the impress of human nails. He directed my attention to some object against the wall. I looked at it for some minutes. It was a spade. With a shriek I bounded to the table, and grasped the box that lay upon it. But I could not force it open, and in my terror it slipped from my hands and fell heavily, and burst into pieces, and from it With a rattling sound, there rolled out some instruments of dental surgery and are mingled with 32 small, white, and ivory-looking substances that were scattered to and fro about the floor.
0: been as others were, I have not seen as others saw. I could not bring my passions from a common spring, from the same source I have not taken my sorrow. I could not awaken my heart to the joy at the same turn, and all I loved, I loved alone. Then, in my childhood, in the dawn of the most stormy life was drawn, from every depth of good and ill, the mystery of binds me still from the torrent of the fountain, <clears throat> from the red cliff of the mountain, from the sun that rolled round in its autumn tin of gold, from the lightning in the sky as it passed me flying by, from the thunder and the storm and the cloud that took the form when the rest of heaven was blue of a demon in my view.
2: be a bell? <laughs> Just a hole in the ground. It you heard like that story? Oh, you mean like, how grave uh, the people that used to monitor the graveyards? Yeah, they would have a bell in case somebody got buried alive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's supposed to be a bell. It looks like it goes into their grave. Like, do you think they were pouring something in there into them? I
3: don't. You think they wanted to seal it up afterwards?
2: Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that is. It's like hard here, so I guess it could be like cement. There's been nobody buried here since... Thelma Flack was in 2005. Um... Anyway, the other person you just heard was... Let me consult my notes. Oh, right. It was me, with T. Volpone, reading... Alone. I did the backup stuff. Most of it as blood dove. (laughs) Up next is the smudge with his glitchcore <laughs> glitchcore rendition of the raven <laughs> enjoy
5: the raven by Edgar Allan Poe once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, pon- weak and weary, over over the and curious re- re- of forgotten lore. While I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor!" I muttered. Looking at my chamber door, only did-did-did nothing more. Ah! Distinctly I remember it was this eek and each separate er- er- thing, and dying and ghost of the floor. Eagerly I- eagerly I veiled- I sought to borrow. From my books, priests arrow, arrow, The law. the uncertain rustling of each purple thrill curtained me, thrilled me with terrible, fantastic fields so that now to this the beating I stood repeating of of, mining of tis some entered some visitor Treating in trance, treating at my chamber door. Some late visitor entranced in intruding at my chamber door. That said nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, no longer contented. He- 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 Madam, you forget, forget, forget. Truly, sir, said I. Forgiveness I implore because I was napping and so gently you came came, came tapping and so faintly you came, came, came rapping at my chamber door. I opened wide the door darkness there enough 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 that I scarce was sure I heard you 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 deep into, into long wandering I, 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 night, fearing Dreaming doubt 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 mortal dreams Never 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 to dare before But the unbro um, violence Gave no tokens and senses And only there was spoke spoken, the Lenore the word whisper whispered. This I echoed and whisper, whispered heard back the, the Lenore the Lenore, Miss, and nothing more. that back, back. back. Chambers turning. I was, I was, I was. All my soul soon again. I heard, hurt, heard, hurt, heard hurt before tapping. Surely said I. sh I, sh-, sh something at my window lattice? Let me, let me, me, Thread is this mystery. This mystery. my heart be startled of most mystery. The winds will be nothing, nothing to win, nothing, to win, to nothing to win, win. Open here, open here, open on, open, here, I, open the and 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 not the least, not the least. Maybe. Maybe. Not a minute, stop her screaming. But with my lord or lady perched above my perch above my b- 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 palace just above my chamber door perched in sad this ebony bird beguiling my sad friends into smiling by the grave of an external decorum shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim, an ancient raven wandering from nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is, on the night's plutonian shore, quoth the raven nevermore, I marvel, I marvel, I marvel. Oh, tick 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 tick, tick. score so plainly, ungainly, the little relevancy C answer game and little meaning. You cannot green no note. Every yet was blessed with seeing this chamber door bird. Bird or beast. Sculpted bust above this chamber door in door lizard or Wizard, so this door, wizard. But the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only that one word, and as his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he f- 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 scarcely any better. buttered. Other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, What among But Stillness uh, has been by reply so aptly spoken. Doubtless, <laughs> said I What it utters Is its only stock in store caught from some unhappy man unha- b beep 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 whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and fast fall- and Till the songs one hungs, one more till the tears of his hope that melancholy, co- that melancholy. Oh, what oh, 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 right now? what oh, right now, right now? But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling. Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of the bird and busted door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto. Ominous bird of yore This grim, un-unly, ainly, mm-hmm. gaunt And an ominous, ominous, romantic, croaking This I sat engaged in guessing But no syllable expressing to the fowl Whose eyes firing into my bosom's Burnt that divining the lamp gloated over my head is reclining, this, or on the cushions, velvet lining, with the lamplight gloating, or, gloating, o'er or, or, lining, she shall pass on, never more, then we thought, Perfumed from an unseen sensor, the air grew denser, swung by the foot. Tinkling footfalls on the tufted floor of Seraphim. Thy God, die, I cried. By these angels, he hath sent thee respite. Bite, from thy memories of Lenore. Quaffle, quaff this kind, Depend. Of Forget this lost Lenore. Quaffle, Raven. Nevermore. Prophet, said I. Thing of the, the prophets, prophets, er, 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 er. Whether whether tempted, whether whether here is true. Desperate, yet all on dawn. And the heroes, wor- enchanted, enchant, enchant, enchanted. Who the I implore is there? Is there balm and glee? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Wolf the Raven? Crank- Prophet said I, thing of evil, prophet still of bird or devil By that by that bends above us, the god we both adore with the distant aid tell this soul of sorrow later The angel the angel the angel the angel
6: was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabel Lee. With a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago in this kingdom by the sea a wind blew out of a cloud chilling my beautiful Annabel lee so that her high born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulchre in this kingdom by the sea the angels not half so happy in heaven went envying her and me yes that was the reason as all men know in this kingdom by the sea that the wind came out of the cloud by night chilling in killing my Annabelle. Eve. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle. Eve. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so all the night-tide I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in the sepulchre there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea.
2: Alright, that was Future Guest, The Smudge with The Raven, followed by Jennifer C. Martin and Daniel Martin with Annabelle Lee. Despite the last name, there is no relation besides them being married. You see anything interesting yet?
3: No, this guy was in the Army He's not with the
2: cool kids. Yeah, what did this guy do to fuck up? He's not a Freemason either. There's a lot of Freemasons here. That's why. (laughs) He's not a Freemason? Well, there were no Masons over there. They were all over in their own little section. Oh, yeah. Over there. Hey, Faulkner. Is that, like, the Faulkner? Uh, Yeah, Faulkner. Carl. Donna. That's lame. Think they're related? He's from Indianapolis, isn't he? Faulkner? Yeah. Uh, Or he's, like, from outside of Indianapolis somewhere, I think. I don't know. I always thought he was from, like, Mississippi or something. (laughs) <laughs> He's from Indiana.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, there's the Faulkner house in Indianapolis. He is a Freemason and a Christian. <laughs> the husband is apparently notable as a Freemason, the wife as a uh, Christian. Let's see, he only died six years apart. That's pretty boring. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, who is up next? Up next is next week's guest, Arvo Silo. Recording his vocals over Walkie Talkie, he is reading The Imp of the Perverse.
7: In the consideration of faculties and impulses of the prima mobilia of the human soul, the just have failed. Obviously existing as a radical, primitive, irreducible sentiment has been equally overlooked by all the moralists who have preceded them. In the pure arrogance of reason, we have all overlooked it. We have suffered its existence to escape. did and was always occasionally doing rather than upon the basis of what we took it for granted that he intended him to do if we cannot comprehend God in his invisible works how then in his inconceivable thoughts that call the works into being if we cannot understand him in his objective creatures how then? In his substantive moods and phases of creation, induction a posteriori would have brought phrenology to admit, as an innate and primitive principle of human action, a paradoxical something, which we may call perverseness for want of a more characteristic term. In the sense I intend, it is in fact a mobile without motive, a motive not motive. Or things we act without comprehensible object, or if this shall be uh, understood as a contradiction in terms, we may so far modify the proposition as to say that through its promptings we act for the reason that we should not. In theory, no reason can be more unreasonable, but in fact, there is none more strong. With certain minds, under certain conditions, absolutely irresistible. I am not more certain that I breathe than that the assurance of the wrong or error of any action is often the one unconquerable force which impels us and alone impels us to its prosecution. Uh, Nor will this overwhelming tendency to do wrong for the wrong's sake admit of analysis or resolution into ulterior elements. It is a radical, a primitive, impulse elementary. It will be said, I am aware, that when we persist in acts because we feel we should not persist in them, our conduct is but a modification of that which ordinarily springs from the combativeness of phrenology. But a glance will show the fallacy of this idea. The phrenological combativeness has for its essence the necessity of self-defense. It is our safeguard against injury. Its principle regards our well-being, and thus the desire to be well is excited simultaneously with its development. It follows that the desire to be well must be excited simultaneously with any principle which shall be merely a modification of combativeness. But in the case of that something which I term perverseness, more impatient anxiety to do our duty but with this very increase of anxiety arrives also a nameless, a positively fearful because unfathomable craving for delay this craving gathers strength as the moments fly the last hour of action is at hand, we tremble with the violence of the conflict within us of the definite with the indefinite of the substance the shadow. But if the contest have proceeded thus far, it is the shadow which prevails. We struggle in vain. The clock strikes and is the knell of all of our welfare. At the same time, it is the chant clear. Note to the ghost that has so long overdrawn us. It flies. It disappears. We are free. The old energy returns. Suffering which have presented themselves to our imagination for this very cause. As that of him who, shuddering upon the edge of a...
3: Sledges with the bells, silver bells, What a world of merriment the melody propels, How they tinkle, 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 in the icy air of night, While the stars are over-sprinkle all the heavens, Sing the twinkle of the crystalline blade, eating time, 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 in a sort of runic rhyme, To the tintinabulation that the music rows, From the bells, 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 bells. From the jingling and the tinkling of the bells. Hear the mellow wedding bells, golden bells, What a world of happiness their harmony foretells, Through the balmy air of night, how they ring out their delight, From the molten golden notes and all in tune, What a liquid ditty floats to the turtle dove That listens while she gloats on the moon. Oh, from out the sounding cells, What a gush of euphony voluminously wells, How it swells, how it dwells in the future, how it tells of the rapture that impels to the swinging and the ringing of the bells. Bells, bells. the bells bells, 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 bells. Bells, bells, bells. To the rhyming and the chiming of the bells. Hear the loud alarm bells, brazen bells. What tale of terror now the turbulency tells? In the startled ear of night, how they scream out their affright. Too much horrified to speak, they can only shriek, shriek out of tune a clamorous appealing to the mercy of the fire, And a mad expostulation with the deaf and frantic fire, Leaping higher, 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 With a desperate desire and a resolute endeavor. Now, now to sit or never By the side of the pale-faced moon. Oh, the bells, bells, bells. What a tale their terror tells Of despair. How they clang and clash and roar. What a horror they outpour In the bosom of the palpitating air. Yet the ear fully knows by the twanging and the clanging, How the danger ebbs and flows, yes, the ear distinctly tells, and the jangling, and the wrangling, how the danger sinks and swells, By the sinking or the swelling in the anger of the bells, of the bells, of the bells bells, 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 and the clamor and the clangor of the bells. With the tolling of the bells, iron bells, what a world of solemn thought and monody compels in the silence of the night! How we shiver with the fright at the melancholy meaning of their tone, where every sound that floats from the rust within the throats of Rome, and the people, ah, the people, they that dwell within the steeple, all alone, and who tolling, tolling, tolling in that muffled monotone feel the glory and so rolling on the human heart of stone they are neither man nor woman they are neither brute nor human they are ghouls and the king it is who tolls and he rolls 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 rolls, a peon from the bells and his merry bosom swells with the peon of the bells and he dances and he yells keeping time 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 in a sort of runic rhyme to the peon of the bells of the bells keeping time time and time in a sort of runic rhyme to the throbbing of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the sobbing of the bells, keeping time, 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 as you knells, 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 in a happy, rhythmic rhyme, to the rolling of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the tolling of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the moaning and the groaning of the bells.
2: Take it <laughs> you have no use for flowers until you're dead. Oh, you're giving it to somebody how sweet
3: hey, come run over, Baldwin
2: all right <laughs> uh, okay so after imp of the ver- after the imp of the perverse was the guy walking around next to me Brandon Bernay. that how you said it at the party the other day? How'd you say it just now? Bernai. Bernai? What is it? My last name? Yeah. Oh, Dumais. Dumais? Oh, I don't know why I wrote B instead of D. (laughs) (laughs) Um, May the good Lord bless you and keep you, and may he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Why do they got to anthropomorphize God like that? Anyway... That about wraps it up, up next, hey another Freemason, and what the fuck are these other things? There's like a guitar with some cartoonish sheets, oh those are metals I guess, from, <laughs> not from the Freemasons, from uh, why does it say shorty between the dates of his life, whatever. The last recording of today, assuming I actually get it in time, is Mother Whore with the Telltale Heart.
1: True, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous I had been and am, but why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but, once conceived, It haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture. A pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so, by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man, and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation, I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it. Oh, so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed so that no light shone out and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in! I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this! And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh, so cautiously. Cautiously, for the hinges creaked. I undid it just so that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night, just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning, when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone, and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed, to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute-hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was opening the door, little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved up the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now, you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with a thick darkness, for the shutters were close fastened through fear of robbers, and so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, but I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in the bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle. And in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, listening, just as I have done, night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the war. Rock of Ages.
2: Rock of ages. <laughs> that guy's grave said Rock of Ages, and that was Mother whore to the last of the things on today's program we'll have more coming up in the future i don't know about that exactly is that a communist symbol looks kinda like, eh, maybe it's not maybe this is another freemason thing is there something else interesting? you said find something else interesting? acorns on the ground oh, great (laughs) (laughs) these things are are dead too (laughs) What else can I say? I can read this acrostic poem I think that's what it's called you know, like the newspaper articles Homer's mom wrote in The Simpsons that had the letters at the beginning of each line. this acrostic poem by HP. Lovecraft where Poe where once Poe walked that mother or sent me Eternal breed the shadows on this ground dreaming of centuries that have gone before. Great elms rise solemnly by slab and mound, arched high above a hidden world of yore. Round the scene, a light of memory plays, and dead leaves whisper of departed days, longing for sights and sounds and are no more. Long and fat a specter glides along aisles where old his living footsteps fell. No coming glance discerns him, though his song. Peels down through time with a mysterious spell. Only the few whose sorcery secrets know. Aspy made these t- tombs, the shade of Holy fucking shit. I cannot... I still can't fucking believe the submissions we got. I knew that... I I mean, I invite everybody on this show because I'm a fan of theirs, and everybody on the show has been either a past guest or is going to be a guest in the future, but fuck like everybody actually went all out for this and I I couldn't be more happy or more honored to be able to present everything we just played but I should mention that isn't all quite yet uh In the future, we are going to be doing more special episodes kind of like this. At the moment, we're planning something a little different. But the big thing right now is we are hoping to release a cassette version of this episode. Probably not with all my meandering bullshit in between, but at least with all of the performances from this episode, as well as... Potentially more I don't know if anybody has any more we will be remastering everything for a pro cassette release at least and I can at least say that in case you have never read a Telltale Heart, that was not the full story and Jill of Mother Whore plans to do the entire story with more instrumentation and I mean, just even a more fantastic fucking production, it seems, and that will be exclusive to that cassette, as well as anything else anybody else uh, would like to contribute to that if they, have, if they want to do any more poems or whatever, because it's going to be like a 90-minute cassette, because it's long episode. comes out to about an hour and 10, 15 minutes with the full version of Telltale Heart. Anyway, Fuck! Thank you to everybody. Thank you to all the performers. Sarah Century, T. Volpone, The Smudge, Jennifer C. Martin, and Daniel Martin, Arvo Zilo, Brandon Bird, Nace? I already forgot. Jill Hackney and... Will... Wolver- whatever the fuck your British last name is of Mother Whore. Thank you all so much. And thanks, of course, to... Dave Pembelton, at DaveYourFace on Twitter... Who is making the image for today's episode? I haven't asked him about doing a cassette release yet, but I'll ask him tomorrow. Or he'll hear this probably before you will, because I'm gonna send it to him for doing that picture. And of course, thank you to Doug Tilly for, you know, doing his best to make a picture of Poe. It's all we asked, Doug. And uh what the fuck else is? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, in lieu of a description on the blog, I'll just have a list of everybody's websites because everybody here is fucking amazing. Uh, just, I don't even know what to say. But just go buy their records, uh, their drawings, whatever they have. Just go buy it because they're all great. And, uh... Stick around for more information on the cassette release. I will have a pre-order to help pay for it because I probably can't afford it, but I want to do it anyway to thank everybody for doing this again. And uh, I know the music's run out, but real quick, come back on Thursday. I'm sorry, Friday for Kim the Unicorns' uh, conversation with Gawker Commander Doo. Follow us on Twitter at UNUNpod, which will have more information about the cassette and everything too. Blurg is doing a great job running that and turning me on to things I had no idea about. And, uh, fuck, what else is there? <laughs> Send us an email if you want to, underground at com. Send us your short stories, poems. Get suggestions to us there on Twitter. All of our information is the blog. Just go to the blog, undressingunderground.com. Just go there and explore. Oh, and thank you to Laura Conifer of... Kathy's special brownies for the song Spaced Out, which I used during the H.P. Lovecraft poem. She'll be back next week with Arvo Zilo. Okay, that's it for real. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Happy Halloween.